Well, again, welcome and thank you for joining us this morning, both in person and online. This morning, we're continuing to walk through our Jesus is Better sermon series, a a series through the book of Hebrews. We are told in Hebrews that Jesus is a better messenger, that Jesus is a better leader, that he is a better high priest, and he is a better covenant. Last week, we looked at how Jesus is a better liberator. Last week's message could have very easily been a Christmas message because we looked at how how Jesus left heaven and came and dwelt among us. And he came to bring many sons into glory, provide a way, blaze a, a trail for all of us to enter into heaven. He came to adopt us as his children. He came to destroy the work of the devil. He came to save each and every one of us. Now this morning, we're going to see that Jesus is better than Moses. Now for us in this room and for those that are joining us online, our initial thought is that's a no-brainer. Of course, Jesus is better than Moses. We know that to be true, but for those that, that, that lived during the first century, that grew up knowing nothing but Judaism, um, they were being pulled in two different directions. They were being pulled toward Christ, because Christ is far better, but they were also being pulled by the religious leaders and probably their own family members to return to the life that they once lived. And they were probably also um, recognizing that to remain a Christian would mean that they would have to face persecution because people were dying um, regularly, being dying a martyr's death. And so the writer of Hebrews writes to them, and tells them that Jesus is better than Moses because, and we're going to look at that because this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6 together. We read these words. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over, uh, over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Let's pray together. Father, again, we come before you this morning just thanking you for the opportunity to worship you. Father, I thank you for those that are in this room this morning. I thank you for our time of worship and our worship leaders, Father. I thank you, Lord, for those that are joining us online live right now and those that will be joining us over the course of this week. Father, we ask that you will just speak to us, that you will reveal your truth to us, Father, and that, Lord, as a result of our time in your word today, every single one of us will be changed. Lord, we love you. We thank you for us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So notice the first point this morning. It is this. It is the faithful 
reward. And just like the writer of Hebrews has done and will continue to do, he begins this section of Scripture with the word, therefore. And we all know when you hear the word, therefore, you've got to ask yourself, what is it, therefore? Here's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's saying, in light of what has already been shared, in light of being a child of God, focus in on First, focus on your calling. We read here in the first part of chapter 3, verse 1, Holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling. These words that have been written for us this morning were not written to unbelievers. Now, unbelievers could come to know Christ as a result of these words, but these words have been specifically written to believers, to first century believers as well as 21st century believers. We are called holy brothers. This word holy means to be set apart. All of us in this room or those that are watching us online were made holy at the moment of your salvation. We were justified. We were cleansed from our sin by the cleansing blood of Jesus. And we were set apart from this world and united to Christ. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15, um, Peter quotes the words of Moses. We read here, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. holy. Not only are we called to be holy and made holy at the moment of our salvation, but, but notice these other words of Peter in chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. Peter wrote, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, the people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellency of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are God's possession. We are his people. We have been set apart for him and by him to live a holy life. Next, we see here that, that we are called to consider Jesus. We, we read right here in, in verse um, 1, consider Jesus. In fact, um, that's something that all of us need to do on a regular basis, isn't it? On a momentary basis. Um, and the writer of Hebrews is writing to these early believers telling them to consider Jesus. All throughout the book of Hebrews, that is what he is trying to get these readers to do, to consider Jesus as well as us. In a few weeks, we're going to be in chapter 11. Chapter 11 is called the faith chapter. The author is going to provide us with a definition of what faith is, and then he is also going to write about the great men and women of faith, the great faith champions of old, men and women that consider Jesus and fix their eyes upon the promise of his coming. He wrote about the faithfulness of these, of these, um, of these men and women. He, he wrote about Abel. Okay, Abel was the first martyr. Enoch. Enoch was a man that walked with God and was no more. Noah, the man God protected from the raging floodwaters. Abraham, the father of, of, of the, the nation of Israel. Sarah, the mother of the nation of Israel. He also wrote about Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Joshua, Rahab, Gideon, as well as others. These great men and women of the faith are heroes worthy of being looked to. 
They were not perfect, but they were men and women of faith. Here's what these men and women of faith did. They considered Jesus. And then in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, we read, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Here, the writer is calling us to consider Jesus, to fix our eyes upon Jesus, to lay aside our sinful ways, to run the race that has been marked out before us. He's calling us to look to Jesus, the author of our faith, the perfecter of our faith, and the sacrificial lamb who died for us. And then in verse 3 we read, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Let me ask you a question this morning. How much time this week did you spend considering Jesus? How much time this week in the midst of the storms, in the midst of the blackouts, in the midst of the, um, the water being turned off, how much time did you spend focused in on Jesus? Now, if you're like me, probably not enough time, right? You know how to keep yourself from straying as a Christian. You know how to keep yourself from turning your back on Christianity and returning to your old ways of life by considering Jesus, by keeping our eyes fixated upon Jesus. We need to consider Jesus because Jesus is better, isn't he? Next, we see the faithfulness of Jesus. Again, in the latter part of verse 1, we read, Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him. Within these verses, Jesus' faithfulness, um, we read of Jesus' faithfulness and our confession. To become a Christian, what do you have to do? You have to confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what Scripture tells us to do. We make a confession we make a profession of our faith to Jesus Christ. We read in Romans 10, 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. When you and I make a proclamation and make a declaration to God the Father and acknowledge that he is king and that he is Lord and that he is savior of all mankind. When we do that and repent of our sins, we are told that we have been saved. Romans 10, um, 13 says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Um, and, and we know that to be true. Now we are to make a confession, aren't we? But notice what Jesus does when we make a confession and a, 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 a surrender our lives to him. We read in verse Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 32, we read, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. A true believer is one who confesses Jesus to be Lord before both God and man. You can't just make a declaration to God. It's before God and man. When we confess Jesus is Lord, 
he confesses us before man, or before God the Father. A true believer is unashamed of Jesus. They are not ashamed that they are Christians. I've shared this with you before, but I want to share it again this morning. Um, growing up, when I was um, uh, uh, late in my teen years, probably around a, a senior in high school or a freshman in college, um, there was a preacher at a youth conference that I was at that shared um, this poem called The Fellowship of the Unashamed. And I want to share it with you this morning. It reads, I'm a part of the Fellowship of the Unashamed. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense, and my future is secure. I am finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dream, chintzy giving, and dwarf goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I now live by faith. I now live by presence, lean by faith, love by patience, lift by prayer, and labor by power. My pace is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions few, my guide reliable, my mission clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, deterred, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I must go until heaven returns, give until I drop, preach until I'll know, and work until he comes. And when he comes to get his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My colors will be clear. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you ashamed of Jesus Christ? Have you confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord both before God and before others? If you have not done that, what is keeping you from doing that this morning? The writer goes on to share with us about the faithfulness of Jesus, about the faithfulness of our king. And we read here that he was a faithful apostle. What is an apostle? An apostle is one who is sent out. Jesus was sent out by God the Father. He left heaven and came and dwelt among us. He came and dwelt among us and committed and was committed to the mission that was ordained for him. Not only was Jesus a faithful apostle, but he also is our faithful high priest. Jesus represents us before God. And he speaks to God on our behalf. The good news this morning is this. We no longer need a priest to make intercession for us because we have the high priest, Jesus, who makes intercession for us. In Romans 8, Paul wrote these words, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Jesus this morning makes intercession for every believer in this room. And at the moment of your salvation, he will make intercession for you as well. We also see here that Jesus is and has always been faithful to the Father. In verse 2 we read, Who was faithful to him who, appear, who appointed him? Just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house, Jesus was faithful to the Father. Faithful, he was a faithful steward of those that God had entrusted him 
with. I love John 17. You know John chapter 17? That is the, the passage of Scripture where on the night of Jesus' betrayal, he goes to the Mount of Olives and he, and he kneels down and he prays this glorious prayer to, to God the Father. And we get a glimpse into that prayer. If you haven't ever read John 17, let me encourage you to do that. I just want to read a couple of verses to you from this prayer. We read, I do, Jesus, Jesus prayed, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So what is Jesus praying there? He, he, he is, if you read that whole thing, you see that Jesus is thanking God for those that he had entrusted to him. Jesus was a faithful steward of the disciples, a faithful steward of all those that he preached to. And just as he was faithful um, 2,000 years ago, he was faithful at the beginning of time, and he will be faithful until the end of time as well. Jesus was faithful to the Father. He was a faithful steward over the house of God, over the people of God. And as his people, my friends, we too need to be faithful stewards of those that God has entrusted to us. We need to be faithful stewards of our families, of our children, of our grandchildren, of our friends, of our coworkers, of our neighbors, those that we do life with and those that make up God's family, both within this local body of believers and the greater body of believers. Let me ask you a question this morning. How well are you stewarding those that God has entrusted you with? Are you using your gifts and stewarding those well? If not, why not? If you don't know how, talk to me, talk to Bill, talk to Justin or Stephanie or one of our leaders. We would love to share with you more about how you can steward the gifts that God has given you. Our final point this morning is this. We're going to look at the faithfulness of Moses. We read in the latter part of verse 2, Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. Just like Jesus was faithful over those that the Father had given him to steward, Moses also was faithful to steward those entrusted to him. And you think about Moses. Man, Moses is one of the greatest men to ever walk the face of this earth. God used him to deliver the Israelites from Pharaoh's captivity. Um, it's believed that there was, there was around 2 million people, and Moses was the leader of them. And he would lead them well from captivity into um, the wilderness. During the 40 years that he was in the wilderness, he led well. We are told that Moses, like Jesus, was faithful in the house of God. He was a faithful steward over the people of God. However, there is a big difference between Moses and Jesus, isn't there? Moses was a sinner. Jesus was perfect. Moses was a murderer. A lot of times we forget about that. You remember what Moses did whenever he saw that Egyptian soldier, soldier abused, abusing um, the, the, the Israelite? Uh, Moses went up and killed the man and buried him in the sand. And, and not only did Moses murder somebody, but Moses would also take credit whenever the water came forth from the rock. You remember what Moses did? He hit the rock with his staff, and, and he took credit for God's miracle there. And the consequences of that 
would be that Moses would only be able to lead the Israelites before the gates of the promised land. He would not be able to lead them over the Jordan River into the promised land. Moses was good, but Jesus is better. Within the closing verses this morning, we see how Jesus is better than Moses. First, we see that Jesus is worthy of more glory. In verses 3 and 4, we read, For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Notice the analogy shared here. If a man builds a house, it is not the house that has greater worth, but the man who builds that house. Now, for most of us in this room, um, or those that are listening this morning, these words don't mean much to us because a lot of us live in um, what are called um, cookie cutter homes or, you know, they may be a custom home built by a recognized um, builder like a D.R. Horton or someone of that, of that manner. But we don't live in, um, you know, a house that was built by Michelangelo. We don't live in a house that was built by, um, by Frank Lloyd Wright, do we? You know, when you think about those homes, you don't usually ask yourself who lives there, but, but you're more focused in on the builder of that house. There's an illustration that I came across. An example, another example would be Christopher Wren. Um, he was the architect and builder of St. Paul's Cathedral in London. Now, unless you study British history, you probably do not know who he is. But if you lived in Britain, you would very well know who um, Christopher Wren is is. But he is considered to be Britain's greatest architect and builder. Um, Most of us don't give much value to architects, the architects of our homes, do we? Um, In fact, most of us in this room probably want to hunt down our architects and builders this week, and we want to give them a piece of our mind, don't we? And ask them, why did you put that hot water heater where you put that? Why did you put this pipe right here without any insulation? I mean, that's probably what we want want to do. But but the thing about um, Christopher Wren, Christopher Wren built St. Paul's Cathedral in London, and he will go down in history as being the builder of that house as builder of that church. The house is good, but the builder is better, is what what the analogy here is. Jesus is better than Moses because Jesus is the architect of Moses. He is the creator of Moses. He is the one that gave Moses the breath of life. Moses is good, but Jesus is better because Jesus is the architect. Moses, um, we go on to see that Moses was a faithful servant In verse 5, we read, Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. Someone shared that Moses was not the final revelation of God. He was just a mouthpiece by which God spoke through. In, In Hebrews chapter 11, the writer of Hebrews writes these words about Moses. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. 
For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. You see what Moses did? Moses looked to Christ. Moses longed for the day that Christ was going to burst into human history. Moses was not better than Christ, but Moses was a servant of Christ. Once again, for us, we know this to be true. But for those that lived during the first century, Moses and Abraham, man, they were everything. We've already looked at Abraham and how he was the father of the Jews. And we come to Moses this morning. Man, these were pillars of the faith. These were great men, men that, that, that many would worship. But the writer is saying again and again and again throughout Hebrews that Jesus is better because Jesus is the sacrificial lamb. He died for all of us. And not only, I mean, and that, that, that is, is, is essential. And the writer is also telling us that, that both Abraham and Moses and all of these great champions of the faith look to the promise of Jesus' coming. Now, those that the writer of Hebrews writes to get to enjoy Jesus' presence. The Old Testament looked for that day. They longed for that day. But you and I get to enjoy the presence of Christ. In closing this morning, we see that Jesus is a faithful son. In verse 6, we read, But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. This morning, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, the Father. He came and dwelt among us, and he died for us. Forty days after his bodily resurrection, Jesus ascended um, back from which he descended and took his rightful place at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is and has always been faithful over the house of God. You are his child if you have placed your faith and trust in him, if you have repented of your sins and confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And because we made that first confession, we need to be faithfully, continuously to make other confessions and professions of Christ to those that we do life with. You see what we read here in this verse, hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. We must persevere to the very end. We must run the race of life well. One day all of us are going to cross the finish line, aren't we? I pray that all of us cross that finish line like a great runner does with our arms outstretched and we cross that finish line with that tape outstretched and we are embraced by Jesus Christ. I long for that day and I pray that you do as well. Let us not grow weary. Let us not give up. Let us not quit the race, but let us faithfully finish the race that has been set before us. Moses is a good role model, isn't he? You and I can learn much from Moses. We can learn much from, from his writings. The first five books were written by Moses. Moses is good, but Jesus is so much better. In light of this, Consider Jesus this morning and every morning. You know how, again, to keep yourself from straying from the faith? Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Consider Jesus morning, noon, and night. And when we do that, we're not going to be um, straying from our faith. We're not going to be running from the potential persecution that may be before us. But we're going to be running to Jesus 
not from him. Come to Jesus this morning, for he is better. If you don't know Jesus this morning, if you're joining us online and you don't have a relationship with Jesus this morning, I want to invite you to make the greatest decision that you could ever make, and that is to confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And if you do that, the Bible says you will be saved. Repent of your sins. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. The consequences for our sin is death. But the gift that Christ provided all of us in this room is life when we place our faith and trust in him. Jesus is better. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you this morning. As we close this morning, Father, Lord, I just pray for every man, woman, student, and child. Father, in this room and those that are joining us online, if they don't have a relationship with you, I pray that today will be the day of their salvation. Today will be the day that they repent of their sins and ask you to forgive them of those sins. And today will be the day that they confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Father, as we close out this service this morning in song, Lord, I pray that you will just continue to be glorified through our worship and through the preaching of your word. If there's someone here that doesn't know you, someone joining us online, Father, I pray that they will reach out to us or reach out to another believer and share that, hey, today needs to be the day that I give my life to Jesus and confess him to be Lord of my life. And Father, what a joy it will be when they make their confession, you're going to confess them before the Father. Thank you for that. Thank you for the truth of your word. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.